Welcome to Famous Lost Words. I'm Tom Jokic with Christopher Ward. We're continuing our deep dive into the archives. This time around, we're honoring the newest inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And today, it's Pat Benatar. We have two interviews from the 80s with Pat. The first one is a nice introduction about her life and her aspirations. The second one is more detailed and even surprising as Pat talks about the rejection she faced from the music industry. She also talks about the role of the audience in her performances and living up to her image. So let's jump right in with the newest Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, Pat Benatar. Welcome back to Famous Lost Words. I'm Christopher Ward. And I'm Tom Jokic, and that, of course, has hit me with your best shot. Pat Benatar, written by Eddie Schwartz, who Mm -hmm. you know is a friend of yours, is that right? Eddie's a good pal. Okay, so let's talk. Uh, let's talk about Pat Benatar. Okay, well, listen, Pat had a string of hits, and and made a whole bunch of songwriters really happy, <laughs> and their wives and yeah, their families. Exactly. It started with a song called "In the Heat of the Night" in 1980, and of course included songs like "Hit Me with Your Best Shot" and later on "We Belong," songs like that, and "Love Is a Battlefield," written by Holly Knight, who mm-hmm. was on a recent show of ours. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm serious, we should get Eddie on to talk about this song because there's a great story behind the writing of Hit Me sure. With Your Best Shot. Um, she also had a string of Grammy Awards to go along with the Platinum Albums. And by the time of this interview, um, Benatar and her husband and musical partner, Neil Geraldo, were missing only one thing in their lives, and that is becoming parents. Yeah, well, if all goes well, and God willing, yeah, I hope so. We're going to try start trying this year. Well, what's that going to do to the Pat Benatar we've all come to know and love? <laughs> I don't know. It'll probably make her a little fat. That's about <laughs> it. <laughs> Somehow I can't see you as, you know, having this great big huge belly. I know. I don't think anybody can, including myself. <laughs> but it's something you're really looking forward to. Yeah, it should be a great it's the It's the one thing that we're just kind of missing. You know, everything else has been so terrific for us. And, you know, that's about the only thing, you know that we're missing in our lives, so we thought this would be a good time. I'm not getting any younger, you know. (laughs) Well, I know what it's like to be in in an intense musical partnership when you're also part of a couple. And you're referring to Alana Miles and you, of course. Mm -hmm. You guys were a couple... Up until about the time that she recorded that first album, or you guys recorded the first album? Yeah, I mean, we, through all of her sort of years of growth and development, becoming an artist, mm-hmm. we were a couple and we mm-hmm. lived together. And we actually split uh, during the time of making the record. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to tell you the absolute honest truth. Yeah. Um, we became better friends. And we just continued to work as if nothing had happened. Wow, that's great. And, yeah. you know, we do have... Funny you should say that. We have some audio right now of Alana. No, we do have some... some, uh, We have a great interview with Alana from around that time period, and we're going to play it in an upcoming episode, and it's sensational. And she speaks... I hate to spoil the plot right now, but she really does speak very respectfully and very lovingly about you. Mm. And uh, and it's a great piece, but I can't wait to play that in an upcoming episode. But let's get back to Pat Benatar. Well, Pat talks about the challenges that you face in just such a relationship. It's a difficult thing. You know, it's just... It's basically the, the biggest problem is the time factor that you're with each other 24 hours a day and every you know everything that you go through he goes through and vice versa so there's no um you know nobody to bounce stuff off of because you're both you know in the same situation but um i don't know it seemed that when we took the vacation and we took the time off and we had a lot of time to think about how to you know 
how to work it out and you know it just seems to be better now that we're married i guess it's it's just one less thing to worry about. You know, when mm-hmm. your relationship is stable, everything else seems to fall into place. So Benatar was in the first wave of MTV stars, an era when every move you made seemed to be captured on camera. And maintaining your rock persona 24-7 could be challenging, never mind how it might be affected by being a wife and a mother. In this interview, she was asked if those changes would affect her rock cred. Well, I hope not. I mean, because that's just, you know, one has nothing to do with the other. I mean, that's my private personal life and it really doesn't uh have anything to do with my stage persona or my public life i mean that was one of the the really good things that i i learned over all these years is that you got to keep it separate and uh you know i mean what i am to the public is one thing and what i am to my family and at home is another thing and i really enjoy keeping it very separate from each other so i really don't think it'll affect it that much. She's also talking in that in that clip about being an actress, so that would also affect people's uh, view of her as this tough rock chick, especially if she ends, it up, ends up with a role that is less than tough. Yeah, I think the, the, the sort of model for that in the time, and a lot of artists were being asked about being mm-hmm. actors because they were first being seen in music videos then, mm-hmm. whereas before we hadn't had that type of exposure to them, was, of course, Tina Turner in Mad Max. Right. Ideal role, mm-hmm. right? killer role, or even when she played um, the Acid Queen in Tommy. Right. But I don't think Pat ever got that chance. No, I don't think she did. And, and, and perhaps it was because she was afraid of what, uh, what might come of it. Who knows? Well, a lot of great things did happen for her. You know, the hit records, of course. But her career kicked in during an amazing time for women artists. And that, that's a time that featured people like Tina Turner, Chrissy Hine, Debbie Harry, Annie Lennox, and then here people like Sarah McLaughlin and Sash Jordan. Strong personalities went along with big success. And Pat was asked about her don't mess with me attitude. Yeah, I mean, I, see, I'm not in the, in the situation anymore where I have to feel that. But, I mean, I still have the, you know... I'm just one of those people that if you're really going to put me in a corner, mm-hmm. I'm not going to stand there and go, you know, please don't do this. I'm probably going to, you know, scratch your eyes out or, nice or gal. Know, come back and retaliate. I just, I mean, that's, I, I mean, I think it's a real ignorant way to be sometimes, but I don't think there's anything I can do about it. I just have that kind of fighting attitude, and I really don't like being pushed around or pressured into doing things I don't want to do and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? There we go, Pat Benatar. By the way, the uh, person doing that interview was uh, a woman uh, named Elaine McDonald, a uh, terrific broadcaster, and that was, I guess, from probably the uh, mid-80s. Right. That would be my guess. Okay. So just in case we have any questions about that, that's who it was. Tom, Pat Benatar sang in the school choir... She did musical theater, and she thought about the Juilliard School of Music, but got married instead. (laughs) Luckily, the story doesn't stop there. She quit her job as a bank teller at age 19 to chase her dream to become a singer. I know, I love the little capsule version of people's histories. She was inspired by Liza Minnelli. What? (laughs) Go figure, right? Yeah. And she got a gig as a singing waitress. Hmm. And just to keep things in the Minnelli family, she auditioned with a Judy Garland song, who's Liza's mother, and got a gig at a comedy club. Okay, wait a second. In this interview... Wait a second. Right? So she auditions with a Judy Garland song, 
and gets a gig at a comedy club. That tells me that they thought her Judy Garland song was funny, <laughs> and that ain't what you want. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think this song, if I recall from my reading, I think this song was an Al Jolson tune. Rock okay. by your baby Ooh. with a Dixie melody. You know right. Song? Yeah, I do. Um, continuing right along in this sure. interview from 1980, which was just, you know, early in her career, yeah. she talks about all kinds of things, including a chance performance that led to a career. <laughs> Stories start for you that you had gone to uh, the showcase club Catch a Rising Star in New York, had been discovered by its manager, who is now your manager, right? right? How long before all of that happened and busted wide open were you plugging away at things? Not long. I mean, that was, that was five years ago. Um, before that, I had only been singing about a year and a half for money, <laughs> for the, which is what makes you professional. I mean, I'd always sung my whole life in school and in theater things and, um, you know, community things, but never publicly for money or anything like that. So actually, Catch a Rising Star really was the first really big thing that I ever did. She had to learn to live on a steady diet of rejection. We were starving. I was married at the time, and we had no money, and we were broke, and it was, you know, going through the whole thing of wanting to sing rock and roll and being a girl when it wasn't fashionable exactly. at the time. And yes. everyone saying, Janis Joplin died, give it up. That's what they'd say to me all the time. Every agency, including the one that I belong to now, passed. <laughs> Every record company except for Chrysalis passed, really? even with Heartbreaker on the tape. Wait a minute. So you're telling me all mm -hmm. those record companies had Heartbreaker on their desk and went, yeah, no. Like, how? Did yeah. they not have ears? Like, well, I think we have to pay attention to what she says, which yeah. is that women rock and rollers just weren't a thing mm -hmm. then. And she was really a pioneer. Yes, she, she sure was. And, and Joan Jett, you know? Yeah. And Tina Turner, of course. Mm -hmm. um, she worked to find an image that was right for her. Back when you were uh, thinking about music and maybe starting to get involved in it, did people like Linda Ronstadt and Phoebe Snow and, and those people have an effect on you or not? Um, I've always loved Ronstadt's voice and, you know, I've, there's a lot of female singers that I really love their voices, but they always had the image that I didn't want. That was probably the most influence that they gave me was that I didn't want to be like them. So what I tried to do is find some kind of middle that was between them and being an out-and-out androgynous kind of female singer, you know. Um, it's the toughest position to take, I think, but um, it's the one that I feel most comfortable in. Wow, she considers herself androgynous. That's funny that she refers to herself in that way. Interestingly, though, I mean, she's a very thoughtful person. I think this interview reveals that. And she's a young artist at the time. Yeah. She already had a very good understanding of the relationship between performer and audience. Do you like to flirt on stage? Yeah. Is, is there a, a definite... I know other rock singers, mostly male rock singers, I guess, have talked about the power and how it's like making love to... <laughs> it, yeah, it's is it like that way that. for you too? It's like that. I mean, it's not. I don't think that they're thinking that when they're doing it. Right, I mean, it's yes. after the fact because right. um, you're not really thinking of it sexually at all. I mean, maybe some people are, but no, I don't. I mean, that's not what it is for me. It's um, um, you do feel the power of it, but the power is a thing that is a shared thing back and forth. They're so powerful coming back to you. I mean, when you see all those people coming back to you, like you come at them, um, it really equalizes itself out. Uh, it's a rock and roll is a sexual thing, you know, that's mm -hmm. what it is. But um, not sexual, I should say, sensual thing. It's just great, whatever it is. Hmm. Very interesting. Not sexual, but sensual, she says. Very good. Yeah, great answer. 
She waited to work with Mike Chapman. He, of course, had produced Blondie's records and all kinds of other hit records. Mm -hmm. But when it happened, it was not all roses. The first album, In the Heat of the Night, uh, how did it come about? How did you... Um, It was through Rick and through the working at the club that um, we got noticed. And then we did a debut concert and Chrysalis came down and, you know, through that whole thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, everybody, especially Rick, was real influential in Mm -hmm. getting it, you know. And then right after that... um, we started doing the album with somebody else and it didn't work out, so we waited about six months until Chapman became available, because that's who I'd originally wanted, but he was um, doing the Parallel Lines album at the time and he was real busy. He's wonderful and terrible at the same time. He's such an ominous man. Him and Peter both, I mean, they're both very strong personalities. They're great, but they're so obnoxious, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but you love them, I mean, that's the way they are. Well, how about Keith Olsen now on the new album? How is he to work with in comparison? He's very different. He's a lot lighter-handed on it. You know, he um, he's basically the kind of producer who um, steers you along. You know, the band, it's pretty... I mean, Neil and he together produce that record, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, Neil, Neil, Neil Geraldo, Geraldo, right, he's Geraldo, the band leader, and he, yeah. he's mostly responsible for, you know, for the songwriting and the sound and arrangements and things. I do basically vocal arrangements and lyrics and things like that. So together, the three of us, um, mostly Neil and Keith, um, really produced the record. That's funny. She does not reveal her true relationship with Neil Geraldo at that point. I think they were an item in 1980, and they wouldn't get married for another couple of years. Neil is quite the character. Now, I've heard very recent interviews with Neil within the last two, three months. And I got to tell you, when you hear him talk, it's almost like he takes full credit credit for all of Pat's success. There's something that kind of rubs me the wrong way whenever I hear Neil Giraldo, especially in this current day and age, when I hear him talk. Yeah, I mean, you know you know where I'm going to go on this. It's like, well, what are her greatest songs? I mean, Hit Me With Your Best Shot. Right. Um, how about um, We Belong? Yes. Killer song. Right. I didn't write that. Right. And... Um, Love is a Battlefield, Holly Knight song. Tom, she had it all. She had a fantastic image. She was a great stage performer, and that voice was utterly unique. But but she had to reach for songs you know, outside the sphere of what they were writing. And yeah. I mean, it's a good thing she did. Absolutely. And isn't Love is a Battlefield a great song? It's one of the few kind of fully synth drum machine songs that still sounds great today. And thankfully, there is that Neil Giraldo guitar riff in there, and that sounds great for sure. And her vocal. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. We have one more. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I love this one. Um, she may not know what a hit is, she says, but she does know what she won't do. I don't ever think about what's going to go good on the radio. I have you don't no think idea. in terms of hits or... Oh, no, I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't know a hit if I fell over one. I have no idea. I just sing what I like to sing and what I know lyrically I can put across. Some songs, I mean, I can't sing a song with the word sunshine in it. That's it. I can't do it. I just can't ever do this. This is an impossibility. It's not credible for me, you know. (laughs) Ain't no sunshine in my song. (laughs) Very good. Good stuff. Pat Benatar on Famous Lost Words. (laughs) 